0: listening to the Sermon Podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit Brockportfirstbaptist.org. Today we're reading Mark 2 verse 23 through Mark 3 verse 6. One Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God, when Abiathar was high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he gave some to his companions." Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life, or to kill, but they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him." The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Ginny, for that reading. Um, So this will be the last week that you get me in the pulpit for a while um pastor dan will be back here i know that he is recovering from jet lag today um and i said it earlier but i have to say it again for our pod that's not what we call them but for people who are listening on the podcast i'm pastor elisha the associate pastor with Rockport first baptist um, so we ended last week talking about how we need to follow the call, invite others to the table, and make some friends who are on this journey with us. Um, you guys all listened so well to my don't waste the coffee comment that by, I, by the time I had a chance to get back there, the coffee was gone. So well done, church! You are welcome to eat, drink all the coffee today as well. Um, and this is my shameless plug also for next week. We are having our first Sunday family potluck, and everybody is invited, and so feel free to get signed up, Thanksgiving-themed. It's going to be fun. Um, so prior to today's verses, we were talking about the old cloak and the new patch, what kind of a patch we can put on, circumstances to fix them. Um, Jesus is telling us that we can't just put on something new But that we have to allow God to make all things new. We can't just add to the old And that leads us to today's verses So i'm going to reread and slowly explain Um, So one sabbath he was going through the grain fields and as they made their way His disciples began to pluck heads of grain the pharisees said to him look Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So here we are. We're seeing the Pharisees continue to ask the wrong questions. They can only see the old cloak when they're looking at Jesus. They're trying to take his teachings and add it to their very long list of rules. I want to believe that they truly wanted to hear and understand what he was saying. They were trying to make sure that it fit into their own understanding of scripture. So I barely dipped my toe into this legalistic water last week, and so now we're going to take a jump. So we're going to start with what these verses are literally saying and the picture that they're painting. So here we have Jesus and his disciples walking toward the synagogue on the Sabbath, heading toward the place in which they would gather and hear readings of the Torah and the prophets. As they walk, they enter a grain field, and they start taking the heads off the grain to eat on their way. The Pharisees are probably traveling with them, and they tell Jesus to watch what they're doing and ask him why he is allowing them to do something unlawful. Okay, so if you're not quite familiar with Old Testament, you're probably thinking, yeah, here they are stealing from a field. Today, if I'm hungry and I'm driving past an apple orchard, no matter how hungry I am, I'm not going to just pull over And grab some apples off the tree. No, we need to have cash, find a farmer's stand, and we can pull over and pay for some apples. But that's actually not the unlawful part that the Pharisees are referring to. Um, On Sabbath, the Jews were not to do any work. They were to get all their food preparation done the day before, so that on Sabbath, they don't have any meal prep whatsoever, and they could just eat. Um, so here are the. It's a little smaller because I just wanted you to see the Old Testament verses that these, this um, law comes from. Um, Deuteronomy 23:25. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's grain. Leviticus 23:22. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. Exodus thirty-four 21, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even in plowing time and in harvest time you shall rest. So we can see that the disciples of Jesus are actually following these laws, but the Pharisees also highly respected oral tradition, which probably stated something along the lines of not doing anything at all that could even remotely look like work on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, who probably meant well, were again interpreting more into what the verses really meant, adding to the requirement given by God, which was to rest. Not sure about you, but if I'm hungry, there's not really much rest. I really love food, and I really don't love feeling hungry. So it wouldn't really be very restful for them if they are not full. I'm gonna stop here and talk a little bit about this idea that we can add to scripture, especially within the oral tradition. This did not stop with the Pharisees. This happens daily within ourselves, within our churches, and within our community. And today's kind of the perfect day to specifically talk about this. Um, Halloween can be extremely controversial um, for Christians. It started as a Celtic tradition three th- more than 2,000 years ago, depending on where I was looking, the years debated that. Um, and it was celebrated as the day before their New Year's, And they believed that the evening before their New Year's Day, the lines between the dead and the alive became blurred and spirits would roam the earth. Um, And it was a day filled with superstition, bonfires and dressing up like animals. Well, in the six and seven hundreds, the Catholics did not want um, their parishioners following along with this tradition. So they came up with All Saints Day, and then later on, All Souls Day, in order to get people to stop celebrating this Celtic tradition. There are still Christians today who refuse to celebrate Halloween. Um, At this point, obviously, the superstition has changed. Over 2,000 years, the original intention of this holiday has really long been forgotten, but there are whole groups that believe that Halloween itself is evil and that they shouldn't celebrate it. I was in this camp for a little while, too, but here's the thing that I came to realize. There's nothing evil about a day in the calendar, and there's no reason to pretend it doesn't exist, especially as many still celebrate something on or around it, but under the guise of a harvest party or some other name. So, we're still on the same page. There's not really any hard and fast scriptures that prohibit Christians from celebrating holidays like this one when their motives or intentions are pure. However, we talked last week about how sin is anything that separates us from our relationship with God, with others, with the earth, and with ourselves. Well, what separates you from those relationships are going to be different than what separates me. Sometimes people will start making these internal lists of sins and rules that they think are on the bad list, and then the lesser sins are on the okay list, and so on. Um, But I'm here to remind you that we're all sinners saved by grace, and that we're all on our own individual journey with God. What's on my list of things to abstain from or to make sure that I do is not going to be the same things that are on your list. Of course, our common baseline is to love God and love others, so making sure that we're doing that first and doing that well is of utmost importance. But then there's a whole lot of gray area that can really slip people up. For some, it can be abstaining from Halloween, but that can't be the rule for everybody. And for me, this is a really weird one, but this is one of those that I think maybe a few people might resonate with. Um, I have decided that I can't read romance novels, and I know that sounds so ridiculous, but for a while in my early 20s, early marriage, I would read these romance novels, and they would suck my brain in so much that it would affect my relationship. I would use these novels as this baseline, um, which is really not healthy. But do I think that everybody needs to give up romance novels? Of course not. That was between me and God. So it's anything that can get into our way, into our way of our relationships with God, others, self, and the earth needs to be examined and potentially put down when you start to notice destructive patterns. So these verses are highlighting this very common problem that we all have with legalism. Trying to put onto paper what we can and what we cannot do. Humans are always trying to find rules and regulations and order when we need to feel the control. And the Pharisees are no different than all of us in this. And the problem with legalism is the second that you break a rule, you're going, to, you're going to either make a new rule to make it okay, or you're going to feel shame and upset and guilt in a way that's not necessary. All right, we're going to continue on in our verses. Verse 25. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Here Jesus is pointing out two distinct things. Sabbath and food security. We're going to jump to the less obvious thing first. I want you to remember back to last week's verses and what they were pointing to regarding food, especially food politics and Palestine. So for a little history lesson, um, peasants in Galilee were being controlled by the Pharisees and their laws regarding sowing, harvesting, and marketing. Many poor peasant farmers could not afford to follow the laws of tithing, of leaving the edges of their field unharvested, of allowing their fields to lay fallow every seventh year. From the perspective of the poor farmer, the Pharisees were using these laws to control the poor. Instead of God's laws of Jubilee economics, the poor were getting more poor and the rich were getting more rich. We don't know what that looks like now, do we? Right? So Jesus' three social and political food points was first, that table fellowship was important and that Jesus invites everyone equally to the table. Second, he points toward a banquet celebration in place of ritual piety, where abundance was shared. And third, in today's verses, he's pointing out that hungry people need not be denied access to food. Jesus is making a big statement here, everyone. Everyone should have equal access to food. Not only those who are not tax collectors and sinners, not only those who are able to fast because they live in abundance regularly, not only those who can easily access enough. No, Jesus is calling for social reform of their food system. This week, while I was reading, I came across a most interesting thought, so I'm going to share it with you so that you can also be chewing on it with me. Pun. Okay, somebody caught my pun. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Jesus is also called the bread of life. With all life throughout history, with cultures all around the world, everybody has their bread. There's numerous biblical references to bread. There's bread or grain at every meal across the globe, burdened with the task of representing its people's journey. Be it French bread or whole grain bread, tortillas, dosas, rye, pitas, the list goes on and on. And some suggest that one sign of bankruptcy in the United States culture is our collective preference and availability for this. For white, sliced, cheap, Sandwich bread, devoid of taste and nutritional value, made in a factory and wrapped in plastic. Meanwhile, the good breads can only be found in small bakeries, or for us lucky folks who live in the Wegmans territory, on the far right side. <laughs> um, but they are patronized by the affluent, um, as the good stuff isn't covered under food stamps or WIC. So, as an American culture, we don't even have a good staple that everybody can access. We use this term, breaking bread, when we're coming together to fellowship, to have a meal, to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. Not only are we drawn to the table for nourishment, but we're also drawn to the table for nourishing our mind and our soul. Meals can be a time for much more than just eating, as a good host knows how to transform a table into an experience for those who gather. I am not one of those. I'm more the type that says, hey, there's some plates and some cups over there, let's just go talk. (laughs) Um, But here, Jesus is boldly making the claim that he wants to transform our relationship with food. He wants us all to partake in a just meal. Just meals do not come easy for all of us. Many of us have not even taken the time to stop and really think about our food choices um, and responsibilities. Our tables are filled with people who look and think like us. We're surrounded by sameness. We're living in this prepackaged, factory-made, world and missing out on the diversity that God intended, missing out on the depth of flavor and of options. Just meals go beyond the actual bread and company as well. Next time you eat, I want you to think about who the farmer is that grew the food that's sitting in front of you, making sure that we're making choices with our purchases that will positively impact the world around us, not adding to the injustice of those choices. So where is our food grown? Who profits from the purchase? Is the land being cultivated well, or is it being abused? Who is working the land, and are they getting proper pay? Really confronting these questions and making different choices is really hard, and it takes some courage, and also it takes money. Um, Not everyone will be able to afford to make different choices, and that's okay too. Making small changes when necessary can make a big impact. Um, For me, I work hard to purchase local produce and I'm sure that that's the majority of us in this room um, because we're surrounded by farms. There's still a farmer's market happening down the street, but I think this might be the last weekend. Um, Is it? Okay. (laughs) Uh, I appreciate that Wegmans shops local often. um, And another way that I try to make better choices is coffee. Told you it was going to come up again. (laughs) um so coffee the idea of I'm gonna go back to my notes because I'm gonna forget um another yes this has been known for years to be a violent business in which workers are paid very little for very hard work land is stolen and used and only the wealthy continue to profit in the countries that produce coffee beans Um, buying fair trade coffee helps us to relieve this burden some And, quite frankly, it tastes way better. Anyhow, if you're not a coffee drinker, you'll have to just take my word for that. Um, Looking into your sources for sugar, chocolate, bananas, tomatoes, the list can go on and on. I do encourage you to take some time this week to see if you can make your table a little more just for all. All right, moving on into Jesus' second point about Sabbath. Sabbath was not required only for us to honor God with, but God intended Sabbath to fill a need within us, even showing up in the Big Ten. We are told in Deuteronomy 5, uh, verse 12, to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. To the Lord your God you shall not do any work. The Pharisees were too wrapped up in their laws to see how the Sabbath was truly a gift from us, for us, from God. Not another day to sit in more lists and rules and regulations, but instead to rest from the daily grind. Time set aside to visit with friends and neighbors, a time set aside for worship and focus on God himself. But this Sabbath cannot be had if we are sitting in want. If our needs are not being met, how can rest truly be rest if we're concerned about where our next meal is coming from? This week has been extra eye-opening to the needs of our surrounding community. Um, We are surrounded by people who are dealing with just this. They have no idea where their next meal is coming from. They might be getting food stamps, but they're unable to make it last the entire month. There are needs for clothing, for diapers, for hygiene items, for coats and boots now that the weather is turning. Taking time to get to know people's stories, hearing how they can get to this place can be heartbreaking, but it's also really empowering for people to be able to tell you and to share their stories and it will build empathy in you if you can stop and listen with an open mind. These are people who have had bad circumstance after bad circumstance up against the life they thought they would lead. We're no different from the Pharisee if we sit here and say, oh, they can just make different choices. They can just go get a job. Well, they're not in church, are they? So yes. I want to encourage you to take a Sabbath. I want to tell you to take rest and to take time with God. But I want also to remind you to try hard to not place our own rules, our own restrictions, our own journey with God on other people, which leads me perfectly into our last chunk of verses. Mark 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come forward. Then he said to them, as in the Pharisees, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus got angry. The Greek word used here is arge. You want to say the Greek word? are gay, I forgot to make a slide so you don't get to see it. (laughs) This is usually translated as the word wrath. Not in the way of punishment, but more closely associated with the anger that one feels when justice is not being done. Justifiable abhorrence was my favorite definition I could find. Um, It's that feeling when you're a parent that you have when your kids know better They really know better, and they go and do something different. Jesus was looking around at those in the synagogue as they were watching for him to slip up. They were watching for Jesus to do more work on the Sabbath to break more of their rules. He was filled with anger at the fact that these people could not see that to do good on the Sabbath was still okay. He was angered that they had an opportunity to write this man's life through faith, and instead they were just waiting for Jesus to slip up on the rules. Why do we do this still? We help those around us while still waiting to see if they'll make more mistakes. We give a handout once to someone in need, but expect them to just get their act together and not need help any longer. We, too, share in this hardness of heart. We, too, can identify with those holding up the rules, holding up legalism of what we think is right and allowing bad to continue to happen. We forget in those moments to continue to point others toward God, the God of grace and the love who looks to those not willing to help in those moments and has justifiable abhorrence toward them. Of course, I'm going to say, guys, be like Jesus. Because you know that punchline. Be like Jesus. Have grace. He's about to change the course of this man's life. The synagogue was the gathering place for the community. Chances are that this man frequents this area looking for a handout. Sometimes giving a handout is exactly what people need. And sometimes you take the time to truly get to know them, and you can help change the course of their lives, giving them a hand up instead. This man was probably unable to work, probably unable to support a family, probably struggled to fit into an agrarian community. Remember, these outward physical effects were seen as inward defects in this time in history. This man was probably an outcast in his society. And Jesus stands with the outcast. He stands with those that we overlook. He stands with those who are broke and hurting and in need. Jesus gets angry at those who can do good and still choose indifference. As a funny little side note, you'll notice the end of our verses today in verse 6 the Pharisees leave and immediately begin plotting Jesus' demise. You know that means they were working far harder than the disciples who were plucking grain and far harder than Jesus who just heals his hand without doing anything. It's kind of ironic. But this is how legalism works. Jesus is choosing life for this man while the Pharisees are choosing death. As we continue on in Mark, We are going to see these two plot lines play out. Jesus will continue healing, continue standing with the outsider and the sinner and the tax collectors, and the authorities, they're going to continue to grow in opposition. We are barely into the gospel, and we're already seeing how quickly Jesus made waves enough for them to start plotting his death. Now that we're on this side of the cross, we can look back and cheer Jesus on, but picture what it would feel like back then and what his disciples were really going through. We are asked to do the same today, to sit with the outsiders, to make sure that everyone has enough to eat, to partner with Jesus, in attempting to do good to those who need it, to walk with Christ in such a way that we do have just tables that we enjoy our Sabbath with God while we help others to do the same, letting go of the rules that we may have for our lives to live more fully into what God has for us instead. Choosing life over death. Choosing fullness of life over indifference. Choosing his grace over our own legalism. Choosing love for those around us instead of the rules that we've held on to so tightly. All right. My main three points that I want you to sit in this week, because that was a lot. So first, I want you to examine your own legalism, your own set of rules that you probably carry around. Now, thankfully, we are an American Baptist church. As a whole, we have a lot less rules than other denominations. As a main rule, we're here together to worship God, love Jesus, get baptized, and respect each other's journeys. However, I know we all still do it to some degree. (laughs) We all have these boxes that we put ourselves in, the ways in which we've chosen to live out our faith and our lives. And sometimes our boxes can feel so comfortable that we, we forget that other people cannot fit comfortably in them with us. I almost brought a box today to get into, and then I decided that was a little too much. (laughs) What works well for us is not going to always work for other people. Um, What gets you excited doesn't get everybody excited. And what makes you draw closer to God is going to look different than the person next to you. Which leads me to my next point. Everybody has a story. I ask that you remember this when you approach people, especially when you start to feel that draw to get people to get back in the box with you. That's when I was going to get back into the box. (laughs) So there, at least you guys can see it in your head. Um, Jesus asked the Pharisees if they should save life or kill on the Sabbath. But this is a universal question that we can ask ourselves daily. Are we going to choose to be life givers to those around us? Or are we going to choose to sit silently when Jesus presents us with this question? In essence, being part of the problem instead of part of the solution. Jesus chose restoration. He chose to give grace when others sat quietly watching. And I ask for you to try and do the same. Be like Jesus. Lastly, I want you to take time this week to look at your table. Pick one thing that you buy regularly and do some research. See where it's grown, where it's made, whose hands it touches on the way to the grocery store. How all these steps are impacting the environment or impacting the lives of those affected by your purchase. Maybe you'll be able to make a small change to impact more positively the justice at your table. Or if you want to go in a different direction, look at your table in another way. Who do you share a meal with? Do all your friends look exactly the same as you? Have the same socioeconomic background, similar life stories? And I ask that you do what you can to make your table more just in that way. Please join me in prayer. Lord, you are so good. Thank you for sending Jesus to show us how to live. Help us to hear your voice today. Help us to be your hands and your feet to those who have been left out of the table. Help us to see the marginalized. Help us to feed the outsider. Help us to choose grace and love and life with you in abundance. May your abundance be for all. In this moment, I ask you, Lord, to minister to us. Help us to listen to your nudging in whatever capacity you have for us individually. And then, Lord, help us to move and make a lasting change that the world may know you and may feel your presence through us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening.